Dr. Charles Price, a pastor, wrote a story about a, a man who had just been released from prison because he was a thief, and he knew it. It was his lifestyle. While he was in prison, he recognized who Christ was. His life was radically changed. He became a believer. His life totally went on a different path. Uh, after his release, he knew that it was going to be a challenge for him because all of his friends were thieves. And so he decided that the first place that he was going to go uh, was he was going to go to church. He wanted to set a new direction for his life. And so he decided that he was going to find a church and just really, really bury himself in, in the ministry of the church. And as he entered the sanctuary, he saw two plaques, as we often see in some churches, and they were listing the Ten Commandments. And he, he read the words uh, as he went through, he got down to the middle portion there where it said the command was to not steal. And it seemed to condemn him, you shall not steal. Well, that's the last thing I need, he, he said to himself. I, I know my weakness and I know my failures and I know the battle I'm going to have. And as the service continued... Uh, he began to stare at that plaque, began to read those commandments over and over. He said he read and reread those words, and they seemed like they began to take on a new meaning. Previously, he read these words in the tone of a command, you shall not steal. But he said, the more I read them, and the more I prayed, he said, now I recognized my sin. I had found forgiveness. And I had found this new empowerment by the Holy Spirit to live a different and holy life. And because I began to realize that, my perspective of the Ten Commandments, especially that one, began to change. And now, as he read that command, he began to see it as God speaking a word of promise to him. You shall not steal. It was a different perspective. He was a new person in Christ. He, God was now promising that the Holy Spirit was going to make it possible for him to overcome this habit of stealing that had been a part of his life you shall not steal, and the reason you won't steal is that I have put my spirit in you. I will move you to follow my decrees and to keep my law. That's what that commandment became to him. What was once a condemning command now became a promise to him. It was, it was full of new possibilities, a promise of the Father loving him so much that he wanted him to succeed and wanted him to have great fellowship with him, just as God desires for all of us. If you're new this morning, we're going through the entire Bible in about 31 weeks. It's called The Story. Uh, we're, we're looking at 
31 of the main major movements of God throughout all of Old Testament and then into New Testament. And right now, uh, we're, we're Moses received the Ten Commandments. So just to give you a perspective. As we study the portion of Exodus that focuses on these Ten Commandments, uh, we will see that God loved the Israelites and us so much that he, he wanted to identify where he knew our greatest battles would be. He wanted us to catch a glimpse of his holiness and therefore recognize our sinfulness, but he didn't stop there. He, he would then provide a way for broken, sinful people just like us to find forgiveness and find fellowship back with him. You'll recall that God's upper story, this overarching story that God is, is watching through the Old Testament and New Testament and even today, it started in a garden with a commitment to fellowship. That is the primary point that God started all of creation with a desire for true, genuine fellowship. It was a perfect environment where he could walk and talk and enjoy fellowship with his masterpieces, those that he created in his own image. He named them. He gave them meaningful jobs. He gave them a beautiful place to live. He invited them to meet with God himself every day, any day, as much as they wanted to laugh and talk and learn and be with him. Everything was available for their enjoyment. They had few food and beauty and, and enjoyment. They were to, to enjoy everything except one thing. And wouldn't you know it, that's the one thing they chose to do. And because of their sin, they were banished. They were banished. We then were banished. We were now inheriting the sin and destruction and pain and disease that they did. So God took another approach to doing life with his people. He would create an anointed nation, and begin to reveal himself with them or to them. He made a covenant. I'm trying to bring us up to the story of Moses. He, he made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the sea and all of the stars. That's a lot, my friends. Ever tried to count the sand at a beach? And then through Joseph... He preserved these people through a, a famine and enslavement. We talked about this last week, how through a horrible, destructive uh, famine, Joseph, who now had authority in Egypt, said, hey, dad, mom, brothers, cousins, step-neighbor-in-laws, come down to Egypt. I will protect you. I will feed you, right? And you'll be reading the story this coming week if you're, you're reading with us, and I hope your family is committed to that, you'll be reading the story of what comes right after that. 
Joseph's brothers who become the 12 tribes of Israel. They were saved from death because of Joseph's actions in Egypt. They lived in Egypt successfully, but unfortunately, jealousy jealousy entered and they became Egyptian slaves for 430 years. Moses, who was a Hebrew himself, was called of God at a burning bush. God spoke to him out in the desert, invited Moses to go back to the Pharaoh and lead the people out into the promised land, what we, they would in the future and we now call Israel. And through a series of miracles, they were released from bondage, but chased into the desert and they were led by God to cross the Red Sea. Their enemies were killed and through Moses, they found freedom from Egypt and they were now walking towards the promised land a land that was flowing with milk and honey. They desired this freedom to go back to the land that they had left 430 years ago. Now they have been wandering, and God leads them to a place called Mount Sinai. And that's where we find our story today. Now the Israelites wandered in the, the wilderness, and God was getting ready to put them in a new garden or the promised land, right? It was a land of milk and honey. God was trying to get them back to that garden, that place. It wasn't the exact place that Adam and Eve were, but it was the same construct. It was the same community where they would be in wonderful community with God in a beautiful place where all of their needs were cared for. God would interact with his creation. It would be at a little bit more of a distance than it was with Adam and Eve, But he wanted to interact with them. He wanted to protect them. He wanted to care for them. This time, he wanted his people to get it right. He wanted those hard-headed people to get it right. He wanted them to have good fellowship with him. And he decided to come down personally and dwell with them. Now, just let that soak that the creator, God, wanted to be in the presence of the ones that he created. That's huge. His desire was for an intimate relationship with his creation. This whole upper story that we're talking about that God desires for all of mankind is God desperately wants to experience life in fellowship with us. That's huge. That should keep you up at night. That should drive your study. That should drive your prayer life. That should drive you to God because the God who created you wants to have fellowship with you. That's amazing. In the passage that you're going to be reading this coming week with your families, it's basically out of Exodus chapter 20 and following. And we will see that, that God and Moses have some things to do each of them, each of themselves. There's three things that had to happen in order for God to dwell among the Israelites. The first is God insisted that his people must set must live by a set of guidelines for holy living. Now let's remember that God had watched 
his people for the last many, many hundreds of years. Even after the flood, they were horrible up until the flood and God took the lives of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and saved only Noah to start the people again. But even after Noah, there was selfishness and bitterness and idolatry and murder and forgetfulness of God's goodness and yada, yada, yada. And God was like, what in the world? Why can't these people get it? And because of this, because of God's desire to be with his people, God, does, God set about to establish a clear set of guidelines that would enable them, that would make them successful so that they could live in relationship and fellowship with the holy God. There were some things that God knew how his creation thought about rules. I mean, they were good humans, and so are we. Generally, people don't like to be given rules. Is there an amen in the house? You shouldn't have said that so loud, but thank you. Generally, humans don't like rules. We tend to think that rules get in our way. They, they take away our joy. They, they certainly are not the favored lecture when we go to a new class or a new college or we, we join a new game. We really want to just get over the rule lecture, right? But rules are ever present, and I think we, we kind of know why. We often think, well, rules are for others, not me. It's for the troublemakers. It's for those guys. It's the ones that look different. It's the ones that aren't old enough to think for themselves. I'm smarter than they are, so it's really for them, right? We all know the rules are necessary, but mostly it's for that other guy. I want the police to ticket the guy who is speeding through my neighborhood where my kids are playing, but when I drive a little fast in somebody else's neighborhood, I'm the exception, right? Thank you. <laughs> that's right. That's how we think. That's, that's the lower story of the Israelites. I've been talking about this overarching grand story that God is looking at all of this in perspective. The lower story is what you and I see and feel. It's, it's our little perspective. It's our slice of, of the pie that w we can understand. I can do whatever I want, my lower story says. Whenever I want to do it, it's all those other people that need the rules. The, on, the only problem is that by living by their own rules got the Israelites into trouble. God's upper story was telling them, I want to be with you, but first you have to learn how to honor me, how to treat each other. This is why I'm giving you these rules. That was God's upper story. It's a bigger perspective than looking at each one of these rules one by one, which is important to do. But it's the overarching perspective. Rules are often seen as made by a cosmic killjoy, sapping all the fun out of life. It's no wonder why, it's no wonder that so many people take exception to God giving us the Ten Commandments. They, they see him as a distant judge. 
always sentencing the lawbreakers. They see God as the mean old principal who lives to catch the truant absentee. They see him as the cosmic killjoy, that God is made to steal the joy away from all fun. That's unfortunate. But I wonder what would happen if we would begin to see his commandments and his laws as a gift. Seeing rules as a way to steal fun given by a cosmic killjoy couldn't have been further from God's truth. They were a gift of God. God knew that without these guidelines, showing his children how to live successfully, they would continue to be miserable because they could not have fellowship with him and true fellowship with each other without following them. God was trying to create a community and a fellowship that represented the garden. Keep pointing your Bible study mind back to the original context. God wanted us to go back and have the same type of fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the garden. And God knew that if we didn't follow these sets of commands and follow the laws, we could not get back to a place where we had true fellowship with God. He intended the Ten Commandments to be indispensable tools for improving every aspect of our lives, every relationship. It puts it into perspective. So in Exodus chapter 20, we find these commands. Now, there's often a misunderstanding that Moses just went on top of the mountain just to get 10 statements and he came back down. That's, that's not true. When you read the passage this next week, you'll find that he went up to Sinai multiple times. God gave him many laws that we find in, in Deuteronomy, in Exodus, in Leviticus, many laws that he, he gave to Moses. The Ten Commandments were very specific. They were inscribed on the tablets. He did break those tablets. He went back up and God rewrote them himself. But anyway, there are many other laws that, that God gave him during that, during that time. He gave him laws about unholiness and cleanliness and how to care for each other and how to deal with conflicts, how, how to respond to people. The Ten Commandments were just a portion of what was important for God to teach these new Israelites, the, the Hebrews, on how to focus on him, how to be successful with God in creating a fellowship with him, as well as how to care for each other. The Israelites actually spent 11 months camping at the base of the mountain, Mount Sinai, as Moses spent most of the time up there. So Moses was on top of the mountain alone, recording what was important to God, and he was to share it with the people. So that's our context. In honor of God's word, would you please stand? And I'd like to read to us Exodus chapter 20, 1 through 21. My friends, what I'm about to read to you is God's word, and it's really important for us to understand it and put it into use in our lives. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before you, before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountains in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're not going to look at each one of these Ten Commandments individually. I'm, I'm confident that you've read them once or twice, and I'm guessing that you know what they're all about. But there are some big picture lessons from each of these commandments that I think it's really important for us to understand. The first is that These commandments give us a glimpse of the glory of God. In the New Testament, sin is defined as falling short of the glory of God or breaking the law. We find this in Romans 3.23, 1 John 3.4. If sin is falling short of the glory of God and breaking the law, then we can reasonably conclude that the law is an expression of God's glory. The law is an expression of God's glory. Every one of the Ten Commandments reflect some aspect 
of the character of God. When God declared, you shall have no other gods, uh, God before me, it was because he knew he was the only God and there would be no one like him. When God tells us that we must not make any image of him, when we try to represent God, it normally looks a little bit like ourself, doesn't it? It's what we know. It's, we don't know anything else except who we are and who you are and your faults. We don't get who and how big God is. And so God says, don't even, don't even go there because you're going, you're going to create something that looks like you. Why should we not commit adultery? Because God is faithful. That's why. Because God embodies faithfulness. Why should we not steal? Because God's trustworthy. That's why. It's a characteristic. You can trust God. Don't steal. Because God is trustworthiness embodied. Why should we not covet? Because God is peace incarnate and is content with himself. Just be content like God. Just be patient. Be peaceful. So God was speaking to his people on the mountain, and he was saying, you are my people. And since you are my people, your lives must be modeled on who I am. And if your lives are to be modeled on who I am, then this is what I want you to look like. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. So the Ten Commandments are not some ten, uh, not an arbitrary set of rules. They are a direct reflection on the character of God. Write that in your Bible. These commandments directly represent the characteristics of God. God knew that the greatest challenge for his holy people would be to reflect his character in the world. When we obey his law, we reflect something of his glory. The Ten Commandments are not killjoy rules. It's that when I obey those Ten Commandments, I'm telling the whole world, this is who God is. He's trustworthy. He's honorable. He's patient. He's kind. He's holy. This is who God is. The Ten Commandments speak to the greatest battles of your heart as well. We have two sons, both adults. Our oldest turned 30 yesterday. Uh, I'm old. Darla's young. I'm old. Uh, Every time they have a birthday, I feel much older. Um, But when our sons were young, I... I never had to command them, sons, eat more ice cream or else. Never had to do that. Not even one time. I never had to say, sons, go waste more time playing those games that I don't understand. Never had to do that. It just came naturally to them. But we did have to constantly remind them 
to clean their rooms, to eat their vegetables, to do their homework, right, parents? I mean, we, we have to remind our kids to do things that we know they really need to do and are healthy for them, and we don't need to remind them to do things that are bad for them. It just comes naturally. Might it be that these Ten Commandments speak to the ten most significant struggles of human existence? Hmm. The first four commandments address the struggles to love God with our whole heart. If you kind of look at all ten of them, those first four talk about the struggle that mankind has with loving God with their whole, with everything. You shall not have any other gods before me. He was telling us that we're not going to find it easy as we think to love him with our whole being. You will not find it easy to, to let God be God in your life. You will find like Adam and Eve that you will want to be the God of your own life. Don't do it. Let me stand out. Let me be the only God that you serve. And in the second commandment, he said, you will struggle to offer authentic, genuine worship. You won't find it easy to lift your mind to me with faith and worship me as you should. So don't build any image out there. Just worship me. In the third commandment, he says, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. He was saying, you will struggle to speak about me in a way that honors me. So be careful. Can I just say, friends, be careful with using God's names flippantly. God says it's important. In the fourth commandment, he speaks about rest and the Sabbath. He was saying that there will be an ever-present battle in giving God your time to focus on him and to rest. This world has plans for you, my friends. There's a schedule for you. There's an email you need to respond to. There's a thing that you need to do. There's stuff that you need to do whatever with. The world is always calling for your attention and God is saying, what about me? Rest. Take a Nazarene nap. Enjoy rest. Focus on me. God knew that it would be a battle that all of us deal with. What if God was saying, I got your back. I understand you. Here's 10 commandments in the, four, in the first four. If you'll just follow these, it's going to show you how to put me first in your life. Well, I won't go through all, all the rest of the six, but recognize that God has also identified the greatest struggles of our hearts. The last six focus on really how to love our neighbors as ourselves, really. He talks about honoring our neighbors who are 
the neighbors at the next door right down the hall as our parents. We're going to struggle with authority as kids, whether we're young kids or older kids. We're going to struggle with that relationship. He says, listen, honor, honor your parents. He knows that we're going to struggle with hostility like murder and anger and resentment. He says, listen, life is valuable. Don't struggle with that. Let me deal with that. Let me deal with the emotions that you deal with. Don't murder. He knows that you're going to deal with sexual impurity or the, the, the commitment to sexual purity of adultery in your eyes and, 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 and what you do with your mind. And he says, listen, don't commit adultery. And he knows that there's going to be this battle for integrity of, of telling the truth and, and stealing and and he said, listen, because I am, I am truthfulness, my middle name is integrity, don't deal with that. There's honesty, with, honesty in all times. He knows that lying and, 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 and exaggerating and all of those things are things that we as humans naturally lean towards. He says, listen, I'm truth. You should be truth as well. These are all the battles of our lives. If I had each of you to raise your hand, there'd be a whole lot of hand raising as I would go through these 10, right? They're just stuff that humans deal with, and God knew it. And how of a loving God he was to say, listen, I know these are coming. I know they're your challenges. How about if I help you out? How about if I tell you the answers ahead of time? I never was the smartest person in, in the classroom, but I had some really good friends that were. And I loved it when they would come and help me study for the test. We didn't cheat, but they would talk me through how to get through Dr. Truesdale's tests. They would give me some answers and say, listen, he's going to deal with these, study these, and you'll be okay. God's doing that to his creation right here with the Ten Commandments. Moses is on this, this top of the mountain, and God's saying, listen, Moses, I love you guys so much. I'm going to help you out here. Here are ten things that represent who I am. Here are, here are ten things that will tell everybody what they're going to go through and if you'll follow these 10 things and all of the other laws that I'm, I'm going to download on you, you're going to be okay. We're going to have fellowship. When you get to the promised land, you guys are going to be okay. And we're going to be best friends. I love that about God. That God is on our side. Did you know God is on your side? God's not trying to stumble, make you stumble. He's not trying to throw you down the well. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to be the one who is peeking around the corner, trying to find you falling or doing something bad. He's got your back. He loves you so much that he desires to be in community with you. And to make that happen, he says, here's who I am. Here are the things that humans often fail in. So I'm going to give you the answers ahead of time. The law of God was to be their light. Our light. Our loving God cared so much 
that he wanted to be very clear to his people. He wanted to give them the light. He wanted to, to light their path. He wanted to help them be successful. And so he gave them the Ten Commandments. The giving of the law was a true act of love, just like it was to the thief who went into the church and saw the Ten Commandments. It was an act of love. I've tried my best to have good dental health. Uh, There have been times that we've had some really good dental insurance and some not so good. I remember being in the Philippines and uh, when we were missionaries and I went to a dentist who had her dental chair in the living room. Most doctors and, and, and dentists, they would have an office, they might work at the hospital, but they would also have a secondary house office. And so in the evenings or the weekends, they could take other patients and make a little bit extra money for them. And so we had found a doctor and a dentist that had a house office and they were, they were great people. And so, but I, I didn't know that um, the dental chair was going to be in the middle of our living room. I mean, like another lazy boy was here and the TV was there and it was where mom and dad and kids gathered. And uh, I also didn't realize that her two-year-old little boy was going to play at my feet with his little dump trucks. And uh, I was really hoping that he didn't sneeze all over the thing that she was about to put in my mouth. And uh, yeah, so it was interesting. But there were times in my dental journey that I would have to have a, just a normal checkup and, you know, every once in a while they, 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 they give that one sentence that you're really not looking forward to. They're looking at your chart and go, hmm, you need an x-ray. And I did not and do not enjoy dental x-rays, especially those cardboard thingies. How many love those cardboard thingies in your mouth? Just raise your hand. One person likes the cardboard thing, and I don't. Now, now it's a little bit more digital, thankfully. But um, the dentist would order an x-ray, and uh, the dental assistant would lay me back, and she would take this cardboard thing. I'm, I'm using high technical terms here, so be, be careful. And she would unfold it, and it would be way too big. I know, I have a very small mouth. I really, but whatever it was, it was way too big for me. And she'd stick that thing in. And then she'd put it in further. And I knew it was cutting, and I was going to have to have stitches, and I knew blood was just going to be gushing all over me. And she would get me in the most uncomfortable place, and she would lean me back, and she, I knew it was cutting, and it was uncomfortable. And then she'd say, okay, don't move. Don't do anything. Don't move for 14 hours. And she'd walk out of the room. And I was like, what? Did she go get coffee? Where is she? And then she'd hear, I'd hear this buzzing, and finally she'd come back, and she'd take the heavy apron off of me, and she'd jerk that thing out, and I just knew I was going to have scars the rest of my life, and there goes my modeling career and all of that, right? I mean, I, I, I did not enjoy. And then the dentist would come in. She would put them on the, the light, uh, 
what, yeah, Dan, help me out here. It, that way, everybody could see all of the, the germs and cavities and brokenness of my mouth and my, you know, the teeth are like this big now. And everybody is staring at him. <laughs> oh, look at that guy, right? And, it, and the dentist would then come in. And he'd look at it and he'd cross his, he'd kind of look a little closer. He'd start shaking his head. And then he'd start murmuring to himself. I could hear him. He was saying, oh dear. Awful. Oh my. Now, those, there, are, there are two people that you don't want to hear those words. It's the dentist and the barber. You don't want to hear those words from a dentist or a barber. And he would give me the news that the x-rays showed him, whatever it was. You got, a, you got decay on E49. I had no idea where E49, or whatever those letters are. They, how do they even know what letter my tooth teeth? I call, this is Frank, and this one's Emily, right? I mean, don't you name your, I don't really. But anyway, they would say, oh, this tooth, it's got this, and you've got to do this. There's a crack here. There's a cavity there. And all that looked and felt fine to me. When I went into the, 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 the dentist chair, I felt good. My smile looked good. I could eat hard candy. I, I had no front teeth falling out like my cousins from the Ozarks. I had all of my teeth. Even then, he would say, the x-ray shows that you need some significant work and your dental health is compromised. There's one last big picture to understand these Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments announces our need of Christ by showing us what we are like. There are many people who go through life with no sense of pain over their spiritual condition. They make false assumptions that things are well with them and everything's just perfect and no problems and they live generally respectable lives and they're in good spiritual health. And then God speaks to us in his law. And he takes the law and puts it on the light screen. And we begin to look at his law in comparison to who we are. And the two are so opposite. God holds the x-ray to the light and he asks us to look at it. And if you look at the x-ray of your inner condition properly, you will not, I promise you will not like what you see. You see, the law announces clearly our need for Christ by showing us the holiness of God. There are lines in the Bible that I think are written by comedian prophets. And there's one right here. 
just three months to the day after they escaped Egypt, they were at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses was just about to go spend three weeks on the mountain where, as we know, God would provide him the Ten Commandments and quite a few other laws. And here it is, just, and God had just told Moses to tell the Israelites, now if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, that was an amazing, amazing gift and a promise. Now, this is what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 19, 7 and 8. Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all of the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. He's now, he's now come back down from the mountain. He now has the Ten Commandments. And here's, here's the, the comedy portion. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Have you read the Old Testament? Do you know some of those guys? How thick-headed they were, made bad decisions, they sinned, God's people. They just said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. <laughs> Today, as you read the rest of the story, certainly the rest of the Old Testament, and I, I can tell you, the New Testament too, that line seems like a rather sad joke. Moses spends three weeks in the presence of God on the top of the mountain, was covered with holy smoke, lightning, thunder. The people have been in awe as they look up the mountain. And can you just imagine, Mount Sinai isn't huge, but it was covered, the top of it was covered with smoke and there's a smell of sulfur and lightning and thunder for three weeks. They knew something awesome was happening up there. Their leader, Moses, was up on the top of the mountain hearing from God. What a privilege, what an honor. That was awesome. And when Moses came down with the tablets, he immediately saw that the Israelites had broken almost every single one of the commandments in front of him. They indulged themselves in an orgy around a golden calf that they were now worshiping. The law that God had given Moses became the tool by which God showed the people how sick they were spiritually. The law made obvious their brokenness and their desperate need for a Savior that was to come. Would you please stand?
as you continue to read through Exodus, you will find that Moses is called back to the mountain where he will spend more time with God receiving laws related to the, the building of this new community of God's people in a way that would, would mirror the holiness of God onto the Gentiles. So God's holiness would be mirrored through these commands and through God's people, the Israelites, and the Gentiles around the world would recognize his holiness. But one of the primary reasons God called him back to the, to the top of the mountain was that God wanted him to build a tabernacle. It was called a tent of meeting at that time. The tabernacle was a place where God's presence would always be found. Can I tell you that God is always wanting to be found? He's not running from us. He's not hiding. He's always making it possible for it to be easy for him to be found. He said, listen, my Hebrew people, I'd like for you to build a tabernacle in the middle of of your, of your encampment and build it very specifically. All of the colors, all of the materials, all of the sizes, they represent my holiness and what I want to gift to you. But I want you to be able to find me at all times. I will be present. Come and have fellowship with me. Talk to me. Find forgiveness in me. You will always find me the tabernacle. And it was going to be a place where God could always be worshiped. The priests were always praying and singing, and there, were mu- there was music and choirs and an opportunity for the people to come around and not just be in the presence of Jesus, but worship him. He wanted to give them a place where they could worship. And it was a place where men and women and children could find forgiveness. He knew that mankind after Adam and Eve, they were going to have trouble with this sin thing. They needed to be forgiven so they could have fellowship with God. You can't have fellowship with God when there's sin. You, you can't be in the presence of, God, of a holy God when we are unholy. God says, I want to I answer that problem that you have. I want you to be forgiven. Therefore, Bring your lambs to the altar in the presence of my priests who represent me. And your faith-filled sacrifice of that lamb, blood will be shed and I will forgive you and you can come back into fellowship with me. My friends, God is constantly searching for ways that we could be in fellowship with him. And I can't wait to get to the good news at about Sermon number 26, when I begin talking about the Messiah, the Lamb of God, has come once and for all, that we all can have fellowship with him. Our sins can be forgiven and cleansed, and by faith, the Holy Spirit works in us and gives us the strength to live a Christ-like life. I can't wait for that. Now, I will be talking about it almost every Sunday from here on out. But God knew in this time, in this place, 
for the Old Testament people, for the Hebrews who are going back to the promised land. He said, listen, I want you to be forgiven. I want to have fellowship with you just as I did that genuine fellowship in the cool of the day in the garden. I want that for you. Therefore, come to the tabernacle and bring your lambs and blood will be poured out and I will forgive you. Then he says, this place, this tabernacle will be a place where you can have true fellowship with God and will experience what Adam and Eve had that love relationship with God is always searching for an opportunity for his people to come near to him. Do you see God's upper story working in this one small story? It colors everything. God's upper story says God wants to live with his people and have fellowship with them just as he originally intended. It was his desire in the Garden of Eden. In the Old Testament, he prepared a tabernacle for the wandering Israelites to have fellowship with him. Solomon later on would build the the temple in Jerusalem for the people to come to sacrifice and find forgiveness and being in his presence. It was an act of love for God to anoint that tabernacle that Solomon built. And in the New Testament, we learn that God, rather than inhabiting structures of stone and wood, he wants to inhabit the flesh and blood of the church of Jesus Christ. And you know the church isn't a building. It's the people of God. We became the temple of God where we are to worship, and we are to mirror his holiness, where we are to have genuine fellowship with him. And I want to leave this morning, all of us recognizing this, every day, every hour, every minute, God is seeking to have fellowship with you. That is his primary purpose. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. There are times that he will set his law up against your life. And when you see the two together, you'll go, woe is me. I'm sinned. I've sinned. I've come short of your glory. God, forgive me. You loved me so much, you set your holiness up against me. And I thank you for that. Other times, he'll come alongside you and he'll provide calm. And he'll provide peace and patience and rest, a gentle reminder that he loves you. He will provide people. He'll give you truth. He may give you a recognition of your plight even. He'll provide a community of godly women and men to walk life with you and they will then remind you that you also need a savior. But the whole time, the whole time our Lord 
is seeking to have fellowship with you just as he originally intended. So my question to you is this. At what level of fellowship do you want with your creator? At what level of fellowship do you want with your creator? Can I tell you where God desires it to be? He wants to have fellowship with you just as he did in the cool of the day with with Adam and Eve. Complete, genuine, laughter, wonderful relationship with his creator. We're going to sing a song and Can I just say, if God's been chasing after you, if he's been encouraging you to come into fellowship with you, this is an amazing day where I believe the Holy Spirit is calling some of us to take another step closer to God. And if you just want to come down to the altar or at your seat, pray. If you just want to say, Lord, I want to take one step closer to being in great, genuine fellowship with you. I'd love to pray with you. Friends would love to pray with you. Come down to the altar and let's pray together. I come to the garden alone while the two
Heavenly Father, what a privilege we have of being in your presence. We thank you, Father, that you desire to have fellowship with us. That's hard for us to understand. But you created us in your own image. You desired a wonderful fellowship with the ones that you created. And though Adam and Eve made a very sinful decision and we are now feeling the consequences of that, you still love us so much that you're constantly inviting us into fellowship, making a way of escape, giving us a savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That if we, by faith, would accept Christ's work on the cross, when he took our sins upon himself, the scripture says that he paid for our price and he gifted us through grace, salvation. And so, Father, we, by faith, accept your son and his work and ask to be forgiven of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we will serve him as our savior and live for him as our Lord. And as he sets on the right hand of the father himself this very moment, the scripture says that he sent his Holy Spirit to live with us, to make us successful spiritually to strengthen us and help us to live a Christ-like life because we can't do it without him. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, into our lives that you might set us up to succeed, to be in fellowship with you at all times. And we thank you so much for loving us so much. Would you receive this benediction? May you begin to understand the law of God as a true gift. May it cause you to see a new picture of the holiness of God. May it cause you to see the utter brokenness of your condition and the need for your sin to be forgiven by a Savior. And may you fall down in worship and in thanks because our creator God wants to have fellowship with us just as he originally intended. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for coming.